Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Surreal Global Fantasy Football Podcast. This week, myself, Hybe, and you'll never walk alone, are delighted to be joined by both Mark McBride and KS Cards to discuss their Surreal journeys, traditional card collecting and much more. So it's great to have you on, guys. Welcome. Thanks very much for the invite. Thank you very much for having us on. Yeah, welcome to you boys. Uh, so three of us are sober and one of us is blind drunk. It should be an interesting <laughs> one. So you're a mother well. Where are you, where are you calling us from today, George? Cambridge. Cambridge. Sunny Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah, it's lovely today. Great. Well, look, it's great to have two two guests on uh, again this week. So um, I don't mind which order you want to go for it. George, um, I know next to nothing about you, so I'm really looking forward to uh, <laughs> hearing your story. Why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm George. Hello. Um, basically, I got into So Rare uh, about February time after sort of I was in the hobby sort of card collecting space and sort of saw the sort of big big influencers sort of plugging away at so rare trying to get you to get your uh, reward what you get when you sign up through their link and then sort of i watched a lot of john ellis's stuff and then sort of saw okay this is quite interesting i'm into the sort of investing sort of crypto side of it, it excites me fantasy football a massive football fans so obviously fantasy football excites me and i collect cards so i was like perfect the free sort of thing that i can do NFTs, Gary, obviously we want to Gary V, big in the NFT space. I was like, okay, that's also a bonus. And then sort of got onto it, saw that it's something that I'd want, and then sort of got signed up in sort of February time, to be fair. And then sort of since then, I sort of got I've got well, I got very lucky. I can't I can't deny I got lucky. So I've sort of I brought my first card, like Nana Ampua for like 20 pounds. I was like, okay, I'm in. I brought a card later realizing that sort of that was probably one of the worst sort of needs to research the cards a bit more before you go and buy in. And then I sort of won a um, card off John Nellis, who sort of did like a giveaway. So I won, um, I did a little Uche off him, which was a big, a big card. And that sort of sucked me into sort of go heavy. So I've then sort of brought brought my first five cards through the auction, spent a bit more than um, I probably should have, and then got the free card, Sadir Asmoon, which again is another really good card in my eyes. So I sort of, I sort of got to a point where I'm confident enough to play sort of Div 4 at a decent level. Oh, superb. So I was paying very close attention. I was, I was, I was now going to question whether it was High B or yourself that's been on the batters for the uh, last. <laughs> kind of listening so closely to these new players that I've never seen on the on the on the card game before. So I'll have to start uh, using the search bar of these. Uh, these oh sheesh! For these powers and the like. Pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the pronunciation of these names, I, I do butcher them pretty badly, to be fair. That's a belter. Eo Chichi. So do you consider yourself transitioned over from physical cards or what, what sort of balance do you have now in terms of the time you spend with your physical card collection and the time you spend on Surrey? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so rare, 100% now. Sort of, I, was, I got to the point where I needed money to sort of buy players. So I was then looking at what cards I've got of physical that I can sort of get sold and get off so I can start buying the digital cards. So I sort of, I'm very much so rare as the place that I'm at now. I sort of... Um, I still do like a podcast about the sort of traditional cards and that lot, but so rare is where the uh, where the heart is. I was going to say I can see your uh, on your Twitter banner. You've got the uh, a Ronaldinho. I don't know what the difference are between all of them, but a Fiera <laughs> Platinum, which uh, looks like a pretty nice card. Yeah, I can't lie. I do like that one. To be fair, that's on a, that's on my wall now. So that's stayed yeah. in your collection. That one. Yeah. So that's um, I'm a Futura fan. So I sort of I collect Futura physical cards, and then sort of. I've now moved away to sort of, I used to invest in sort of physical cards. Now I sort of don't invest 
on phys- just buy what I like physically, but then sort of NFT so rare, I buy sort of to invest and I buy older players that are good utility. Physical. Ah, so, so you're not you're not you haven't got a phobia of the over thirties like some some of them. Oh no, I love them. I, I remember listening to your podcast must have been four, five, six weeks ago, and you were talking about sort of the over thirties, and I had a Pape Cisse in my gallery, and right. I was sitting there, and then it must have been three weeks ago he scored out of nowhere and it hit me my e threshold. So I was like, yes. So Hooray Podcast helped me out there. <laughs> nice. Excellent. That's good to see. I think that was at the, the Vormer episode where I was probably waxing a little bit too much lyrical over him. Was, yeah, I think you were saying you could get an older player and then that, that, that older player can get you, win you younger players, then you can then sit on. So don't overlook the old the, uh, old timers. Exactly. Well, maybe, maybe that's uh, my age coming through. Uh, the, yeah, uh, that young... advice definitely didn't come from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting better, though. I'm getting better at holding some of the, the 28-year-old plus guys that are getting into their twilight years. It, it depends who is it as well. It depends who the player is. So if you know that they're still going to get game time and could do something, it's worth it. But if they're just sort of winding down their career, it's sort of it's that gambling, isn't it? That's it. And you've always got the, the chance that that player moves to another country, moves back to their, their home nation, moves to, to a lesser league. And so there's all sorts that can go in on in the latter stages of a player's career that will change and give them a utility, give them some some value and make them useful as part of your, your lineups. Or they get the vice, uh, vice captain's position, then they progress and get the captain's armband and then they're ever present and, uh, and they uh, kick ass for you every week. Do, do you look for captains then? I think that's what I've found... I've sort of looked at who is the captain. They're sort of normally quite old and cheap, normally defender that sort of I can pick up quite cheaply, to be fair, the captains. Uh, I don't, but when I'm picking team, when I'm buying, no, but when I'm picking teams, I think it certainly does influence, you know, who I perhaps select as a captain. If there's a, even if there's only a 5 10% chance that a regular guy might be a DMP that week, I look at the captain and go, well, if I've got a captain in the five, I'll maybe lean towards giving them the uh, the captain's position in Surrey just because I feel that it's tougher to see a manager drop a captain. Yeah, definitely. It's been quite tough recently with the, the DNPs as well, obviously the end of the season and there's a lot of games sticking fast and like, you know, Asia and things, but it's been it's been quite difficult. And so like you look at your team and there's guys just not in the squad. Like, oh good. <laughs> that was out yeah. of the blue. The it last is. couple of weeks have been hard though with sort of I think the Russia League. So Sadat Asmoon who's one of my main players sort of just got dropped for the last two games. So that come out of nowhere. So I was like, okay. I sort of, that's absolutely killed me most weeks. That DM, when that DMP pops up, that's it. Game over. Yeah, they won the league as well, didn't they? So like, yeah. they were, they're still pretty much hammering everybody. And that, that's a hard bit as well. So the good teams, like, they, they can rotate because there's nothing to play for as well. So it's been hard. Excellent. So in terms of the, the short space of time you've been on the game then, uh, George, what advice would you give to other managers? It sounds like you've dabbled into, you know, a bit of everything. If you were to start again, would you do anything differently, or or you think you'd uh, perhaps follow the same path that you've already chosen? It's a it's a different approach. I I would go differently if I could go back with sort of funds that I had. I would sort of, although global div div four is a good place to start hitting your ETH. I think look at players who play either challenger or champion if you're if you're going for Europe, because then when you're trying to progress, you've at least got a base where you can go to. Whereas I'm sort of I've got my striker who plays. Um, at Challenger, I forget which one's um, which sometimes. But sort of I've now got to try and build two different teams. Whereas I think if I started again, I would have done Global All-Star, but made sure my base sort of three big hitter players played for either Challenger or Champion. 
we then moved from there. That would be okay. So, you're, so what you're saying is now because the seasons uh, are, are different, you might lose a key player at the end of the European season uh, that you've then got to go to the market and replace yeah. to play alongside whatever Asian or whatever in you know, MLS cards you might have. Yeah, so sort of in like when when you get better on the game, you want to look at sort of going leaving like the global division. I think sort of for me because the rewards are better when you either go to the European Challenge or European um, Champion. So for me, I'm now looking at building a team for one of them to sort of get the better rewards and sort of have like an ETH hitting team that stays in Div Four, gets that ETH each week. But then my main team is sort of competing at a high level. Right. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. That would be my sort of advice. And do your research. I think people can get stuck when they come in and just sort of buy. We've got to do your due diligence for players, otherwise you're yeah. going to get hurt. And how do you go about that? What has been your approach so far? That's what that's what I've enjoyed the most, building my team. I'm not at a place now where my team's finished. I'm sort of like, ah, oh, just end at the team. When I was building it, you go transfer market, Twitter, follow them, follow the team, follow the league, sort of make sure they're playing, see what stats they've scored, where they're at previous years what position they played previous years, if they're in a national team, if they're getting called up under 21 team and just sort of making sure they're either a player or people are reporting about them and sort of just making sure they are getting game time or have got moves lined up. That's sort of one thing for me that I look at to make sure, okay, I'm going to get utility out of them or there's a spec- speculation behind them. So they could they could be getting a move or they aren't, aren't happy and wanting to go elsewhere. That's sort of my focus when I'm trying to pick a player up. Nice. And... You've came from the like physical card collecting space, and you talked there about future. Is it Futura or Futera? Futura? Yeah, yeah. So you, you've obviously you've grown with that, and you, you've enjoyed collecting these cards, and there's still some that you've you're you're now collecting as a as a hobby. Do you buy cards in Surreal because of the the look of them, or is it purely for utility at this moment? It's it is both at the moment. I'm sort of utility. For the ones, but there is some that I have that I'm like, I couldn't, I probably couldn't let them go. Like, I think um, Ricardo Pepe I've got for the MLS, he's sort of one that I sort of am behind him. Like, okay, I'm following your career now, I'm with you. I sort of don't see selling him and sort of them ones. But then there is a lot that I'm like, I'd happily let go. But there's a few that I'm like, okay, you're you're in my team. Let's sort of go on this journey together and see how, how we get on. And then there, there's some that I would just happily invest when they get a good price I'll sell them and I suppose that's more from the, the player isn't it so you're back in that player's yeah. career and wanting to follow their their progress what about the actual card designs are there any of the specific card designs that catch your eye more than, than others any that you think are, are really nice the the rookie one for this year is lovely I love that when that come out I had to pick one up I just bought a, a random goalkeeper in the Asian division and had I to had, have it. Had, yeah I had to go I was like that design is is so nice I'd love and it, the frustration for me though was when it when it came out, that means that my rookie cards that I have now won't have that. And it was a bit like, oh, I'd love sort of my players that I know are rookie years to have that design. And also, I really want an original first year card. I'm still looking at picking one up because I want to have that sort of that collector side of me. I want an original first year card. Nice. nice. Well, I'm sure you're something you will manage to pick up over time. There's certainly a lot on, on the market. Um, I don't know about the price. I've not looked for a while, but I'm, I'm it's sure. Usually quite expensive. <laughs> yeah, I think they have crept up a bit, haven't they? But that, I suppose, is to be expected with the, the collectible element. You, like you've said yourself, you want to have it for purely for that purpose. One of those original cards, and I'm sure there's there's other managers out there who are doing the same or holding those cards for for that purpose. And I think the card design only gets better. You look at sort of from the first year to now, 
that although almost what was it two seasons ago the first year they sort of have that old school look even though it's not that old it has that old school feel and this year cards have got that sort of futuristic feel if not if you know what i'm saying so if you've got that sort of original design and now we're at now with the sort of hexagon b hive look it just looks like modern and like futuristic which i think they've done so well there yeah, yeah i like the old ones better to be honest like um it's good that they're moving the card design on, but I, I like the old ones. I think they, they look quite retro already, as you, you were saying. But I, I, I just like the look of them. Like, so like, you look at like, the old, uh, the older Roma cards, and um, like the ones for the um, Belgium league. Like I, I think they look better myself. But then, obviously, it's all sort of relative in terms of what you you prefer to. No. Yeah, I think I've always been a fan of the older ones, uh, and and I think again we touched on it a couple of weeks ago. As time goes by. I, mean, I don't know how many cards there were, but let's say for argument's sake, there was you know two thousand cards in the first season. You know we're we're, we're producing two thousand cards every three days at the moment. So again, you know aesthetically, yeah, they might appeal to some people, they might not to others. But one thing can't be denied is their relative scarcity. We wind the clock forward another twelve months. We could be in a situation where we're seeing auctions every. 10 15 seconds of the day you know <laughs> versus then yeah the 2018 19s which there'll be 2000 or however many there are in existence so um yeah even the scarcity alone you know you'll be trawling the transfer market maybe in 12 months from now and it'll be like one in every few hundred maybe a 2018 19 and that's only if the owner is even dangling them on the market yeah george i've got a wee question for you what do you think about things like um, championship um, season cards or like short numbers and things for example obviously Sporting won the league this year and have won the league do you think collectability wise and in years to come people might prefer some of the those seasons cards because the their title winning seasons so that, that happen in the um, the physical card collecting side oh, 100% I think I'm, I'm really unfortunate that my team is never going to win the league like in the next 20 years so I won't have the chance but if I followed a, a team you also a Manchester United fan George no no uh, no long way off Man United long way off I'm oh, sorry I just thought 20 years without drug before <laughs> yeah. after last night I can see them waiting 20 years for another chance wow but no I think if I was like say like Man City this year haven't obviously got cards in the game but when, when they win the Champions League I think if you support Man City you definitely want a card from that that team or that year to have so I think looking back, if you could get a card from, say, a Man United fan from the treble winning year, that would hold so much value and like nostalgia for you. So definitely be collectors of the teams that will want that card from that year. Or if the player's shirt number's an iconic shirt number. I don't, I think with the shirt number, it's a hard one. I know some people hold it dear to them about it, but I think it would only be if it was an iconic player with an iconic shirt number for me. That's the only when I would get drawn into it. So I know obviously it's not football, but like basketball, if you had like Michael Jordan 23, someone like that, that would hold a lot of precedent. Yeah, or like CR7. Or what do yeah. you think about yeah, yeah. Um, like the the one out of 100 mints or like the first card ever? Do you think like the actual first card ever will carry more of a premium? Do you, or do you think like the one out of 100 cards? Because um, it seems to be more demand for those types of cards. What are your your thoughts on those? From from a collector point of view, I can see why it does because that is the first one officially minted. That is sort of the one that was done first. But I think yeah. utility wise, sort of obviously we know that it holds no different value. But from a collector, one hundred percent, the first one out would be massive. When also you can see when the auctions come out as well, 
when you're trying to bid on the first one, everyone's after it because yeah. you that that's the one that is officially the first one ever created of that player. Yeah. Uh, so just obviously because we're in subsequent seasons cards now, obviously you've got the first card ever, and then the next season you've got the the first like, one out of a hundred of that season. So I think that's where it it becomes like a wee bit harder as well because it's not the, the first card ever but as the first card for that season so yeah, yeah, yeah. they're always really popular as well so it's kind of like try to judge that per player like they, they all seem to go for a higher price but like i think that some of the lower down players like they don't really have any collectability so you've got to watch what you're doing there if you end up paying a lot more for the initial mint and they're not like they might not hold that value. There might be more demand for it just now, but whether or not they'll hold that collectible value later on. Okay, so here's a question for you guys then. Uh, taking your question one step further, Mark. Yep. What about, what would you rather have? Would you rather have the one of 100, let's say it's a, a, a reasonable player that you like and, and the market is, is is fond of, one of 100 of, let's say, this season, or let's say last season was their original season, any serial number from the previous season? That's a hard. What what's their percentage saying? <laughs> um, oh, that's a hard one. I think it has has to be the earlier card, surely. Yeah, it's interesting. For me, it, it'd be the sort of the older card, the sort of that's close to their sort of rookie year, rookie season for me. First time on the platform. Yeah. Or would you ignore a twenty-seven out of a hundred from last year? And you'd rather own the one of a hundred from a subsequent season. For me personally, it'd be the older card. The, the the more, even if you look at the hobby, like the physical hobby, the older card holds a lot more value than a card because they're all like numbered. The older card would hold more value if you're investing in it long term. And for me, utility-wise, the older card would have more percentage in the game. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, the older card might lose a seasonal bonus for a, for a year, but uh, I don't think that's a major factor for many people if when you're they're playing long term it doesn't matter really to me yeah, yeah it's interesting let's call a run on 2018-19 cards then let's go <laughs> <laughs> i'm just doing my usual having a wee a wee look through see i was what gonna say hybe stays quiet for the first 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> all the players that we talk about, about two grand on 2018-19 cards whilst we've been talking here probably there's a, there's a couple of nice ones actually a couple of keepers a sander berge van houston yeah lots of tables Lots of tiles. I, I think I think myself like those cards. Like some of them aren't for big players, but I think if the platform becomes big enough, those cards will just become collectors' items. Like it might not even matter if they're really huge players. Obviously, that really helps if they're huge players. But um, as I was saying earlier, there's not many of them. Um, and if I, if I see one that I like and it's a reasonably good player, I'll I'll pay more money for them than I would do for the current season's cards. I've done that a few times as well. So I think that um, they could become or will be already becoming really, really collectible cards. Yeah, uh, the, I, there's definitely something nice about them. I look at them and think, you know, I want to have some some more of these. Um, and you're right, I would pay a little bit more than I, I would for a current season version of Yeah, I think that the, the, the one out of hundreds, like people, when they put them on the market, they'll price them higher. I've seen quite a few of the one out of 100 like subsequent season cards recently and that they're sitting there for a while. So people obviously maybe think that they'll get more money for them or paid a wee bit more money because there's more demand and then they, they sit in the market. So it's obviously hard to gauge because like sometimes you'll not see them in the market or you'll not, they'll end up with private deals or whatever. But as a kind of interesting point, I think like the first, I think the first ever will obviously 
come at a premium or the first sort of the first mints ever like will come at a premium and it, and it depends how many are being minted as well like for example if a player moves and then there's only 20 of them then they're they're mega scarce as well so you know obviously from that point of view that helps out a lot if you can look at how many have actually been minted in that season as well? Is it a full 100 or somebody moved after 15 cards have been minted and there's only 15 then, which makes them even more valuable, I think? Yeah, I think all that plays into it, doesn't it? And you have to spend the time. It's not necessarily always really apparent that those differences exist within players, but we know there's some players that there's only a handful of cards available or maybe there was they transferred after 20 or 30 were minted and it's only those original 20 or 30 that are on the platform. So, yeah, there's, there's going to be lots of different ways of that people will perceive the, the scarcity and, and therefore the, the value of some of these players and some bargains to be picked up, I think, within that. Do you, do you think that can change in the future? Do you think it's possible to... Obviously, I don't know because I don't know anything about NFTs, but, like, Kai's reads that who I have, only 52 rares are printed or been minted, but on his card it says out of 100... Do you think we could ever get to a point where it could say out of how many for that season? Because there won't be any more for this season printed for him. Do you think there'll ever be a point where you could say out of 52, say, for example, on the card, so it looks rarer? I think when the cards are actually minted, there is no way that you can change the fronts. So Okay, yeah. So yeah. if the name's spelt wrong, if the badge is wrong, or if there's you know, an... an defects on the card or there's a little error somewhere that actually is a, an imperfection that will stay on the card itself wow. i think as we've seen with the filters you know we've had more you know the one of a hunt the serial number filter and i think maybe in the way in which a card is displayed when you see it and, and open it up from the transfer market i think there are certainly improvements that they can have there that will visually show yeah you've got one of 52 this season um, but but I don't think it, I'm almost certain it won't appear on the card or the NFT itself. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, I think it'd be a good one to have as a filter to say, okay, show me cards where there's only 20 of them in existence on a particular season. Yeah, that's yeah. quite interesting. I'm the sure point... HD will add that next week. <laughs> the, the other point I was saying about the, the original sort of Belgian league cards or the first season cards you've got to watch is that they're now into their third season in the platform as well. So it's quite interesting sometimes to see how the, the market reacts or the pricing is compared to how many cards are out. So like, for example, MLS cards have just come out. And I think that a lot of the MLS cards in the run up to the MLS coming back were, were quite high for a couple of reasons, hype around the platform and everything. But as the new season cards come out and supply and the, the rewards and everything comes out, sometimes the prices come down a wee bit. So the flip side of buying the first season cards is that you've got to watch that um, they're just not like more useless because there's more of them in existence as well, albeit it's subsequent season ones because somebody doesn't want to collect them, just want to buy them to use them or whatever, then they've got 300 to choose from rather than 100 or 50 or whatever. So the other thing I look at as well is like in the, the champion, there's, I don't know if they'll expand it, obviously they could change it, but the big five leagues are the big five leagues and a lot of the, the big clubs are on there as well. So maybe they're less vulnerable to other cards coming on, but in the challenger, there's probably quite a more like a few more full leagues that could come on. So if you're buying like a challenger goalkeeper and they're, 500 quid or whatever you think well what's going to happen if a new league's launched in the challenger what happens if they get cheaper options there whereas the the champion cards are 
in certain areas, they're maybe not as vulnerable to new teams coming. So so it's hard to predict because there's a team coming every week at the moment, isn't there? But sometimes you've got to look at some of these divisions and, and think about what, what might come as well um, in terms of um, your cards. That's yeah, and so building on that, it's, you know, if, if, for example, tomorrow you see a card on the transfer market you like, where in your collection are you going to look to raise ETH from for that potential purchase? And I would imagine that the Euro Champions is probably the last region that you would look to in order to free up funds. It might be the easiest region to free up funds, but if you're eyeing a new uh, transfer target, I would imagine that you'd probably sell off someone from your collection in Asia, America, or maybe challenges before you start looking at options to sell from champions. Yeah. Do you, do you think there'll ever be a point where it's just the league has their own league? So Premier League, you don't only use Premier League player cards. Serie A, you can only use Serie A player cards. Do you think there'll ever be a point where there's only them leagues, them players can be used? Yeah, yeah I definitely think so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've gone from having scarcity-based divisions to... You know, then the next iteration was now the, the, what we're playing at the moment, which is regions. And, you know, I would imagine, yeah, I mean, I can see even things like Challenger being split into two. Uh, I, would, I don't know how they do it, but they might, you know, they might choose Portugal, Russia and Netherlands. And then they might have Belgium and, you know, whoever comes next um, in, in a different section as well. Uh, but eventually... You need a they- third one for the Scottish League. <laughs> The con- that'll be the conference league, Ivy. <laughs> That's it. one special little little thing in the corner with Arsenal. <laughs> Sounds fitting. Yeah. So, Mark, before we digress and cover every single subject of the week, um, okay. yeah, perhaps you'd like to also share your background. You've been with the game, you know, coming up to a year anniversary now, yeah. Yeah, joined in June last year. So, a shout to to Fraser Fraser Air for coaxing me into um, joining the platform. So, yeah, I was doing a wee bit, sort of, wee bit on the football index, um, footstock, just kind of generally liked things like that. And Fraser told me about Sorare. And th- I think the thing that attracted me was, like, obviously there was a, a different sort of choice of teams you can invest in. So a lot of people quite like the EPL or they quite like the big European leagues. But I quite like sort of delving into buying guys from Shakhtar or looking at um, other leagues or finding sort of gems that eventually become really good. And then, you know, I, I promised myself, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to spend much on this. And then I, I bought my first card and I loved the auctions. So I got the bite for it. So it was like three days later and I bought my five cards and I was desperate to see what I'd won as a referral reward and everything. And then just kind of went from there, to be honest. Like, um, around about the time where, they announced, the site announced there was like the four million funding to try and get the bigger licenses. So there was no obviously Real Madrid or Liverpool or PSG and everything on at that point. Um, and that point, you just kind of see about like the potential with the site. And there was loads of things that I didn't like, like having to bugger about with Coinbase and you know all the sort of stuff regarding deposits and coming out and everything. So I wasn't really a crypto guy or anything. I just liked football, and then it just sort of went from there. And it like sort of decided like the weekend and things like I'm not going to put on football accumulators. I'm not going to waste money on X, Y, or Z. I'm just going to like buy a young player or buy somebody I've I've researched, etc. And then I just built my collection up from them. Them. I I've got five five hundred twenty-five cards or something now. So that's um that's pretty insane. But I've sold a few recently, believe it or not. So I've actually sold enough to take. The money that I've put in back out, so I'm now playing risk free, which is 
is really good and just just enjoy it to be honest just like I love investing in younger players I love finding players that haven't broken in yet or maybe they're a bit under the radar and then they, they break in they increase in price and I, I think that you buy younger players obviously they might not perform straight away but the, the tournaments are free so I love that element of it like if you have a month where you're skint like if you've got your gallery you can still enter a tournament you don't have to spend an hour 10 or 20 quid to enter at the weekend you can just put your team in and it's free and you can win things and I think that's that's really good to be honest and the young guys if you buy somebody and they're 18 and they play until they're 32 or right so say they're 100 pounds or 200 pounds people think that's dead expensive but it's not really like 10 years utility or whatever out of them that's not expensive at all it's actually really cheap and yeah, yeah. it's just just sort of went from there like always loved it always really enjoyed it probably sometimes spend too much time scouting or trying to pick up bargains but yeah, I've always just really enjoyed it. Yeah, we've got some some collections. I'm just looking at the the 2019-20 rookie card. So we've got yeah. 80, 85 youngsters in there. Is that so, all I've got? Jeez. That's, <laughs> all, that's all, but yeah, some <laughs> back and buys in there. Havertz and all sorts. Havertz was my biggest initial buy. So like when I was buying at the start, I'd kind of... If I had to go back, like I would probably buy some more super rares or maybe invest a wee bit more in certain players but I always had a sort of certain um, sort of Scottish cheapskate rule where I was trying to get people as cheap as possible so I would always look for cheap options or uh, auctions or um, guys who were like young who weren't in the team yet and but I knew that maybe they I knew who they were or I knew they were they were quality and I just tried to sort of build up so you know over the first couple of months my average spend on a card was probably only about 15 quid or something like that I know obviously it's, you're not be able to do that in the platform now because of the the sort of interest levels and things but I would always try and pick up something that was affordable or what you know what I thought was good value sort of long term and a lot of them turned out to be excellent value obviously because of the the demand and the platform so I'm just having a look at some of the players you've picked up and there's there's all sorts in there but yeah primarily younger younger guys but you can definitely see there's a view for the collectability aspect and looking ahead to, to the future with a, a lot of these these players. But you've also got the guys yeah, I that mean, are performing right now. I think I kind of reached a point where where I was a bit fed up. Like, <laughs> it's like maybe I had like 20 or 30 cards, but I wasn't winning anything because, you know, obviously I bought the likes of Havertz, but Havertz moved to Chelsea and wasn't really doing that well. And I bought Zaniolo and he'd done his ACL and he just... Um, my biggest buys were Sherky, Zaniolo and Havertz and none of them were really playing so at a certain point I was kind of thinking well I want to be able to like enjoy the tournaments and everything as well obviously I could always put in a good under 23 team but I wasn't really winning much at that point and then I just built it up from there um, really and then I started buying like guys who I thought would maybe some injury holds and things so guys who, who are good players maybe have a decent age but um, were injured and had a bit of, sort of potential to go up in value and things as well and always sort of look for bargains from that point of view as well and then the odd fun buy just a, a Shunsuk Nakamura <laughs> I've got quite a few of him yeah I was, I've, I've, um, I just think he's really really cheap like, I know you can't really do much with him but I was thinking like it's not really kicked off in in Asia so He's really popular in Asia. He's obviously he's won all the commercials and everything there, so he's maybe not as um, popular as like a guy Mura, or whatever the um, the guy who's like the J League legend. But just sort of thinking, like 
if it, if the platform becomes really big in Asia, that um, these types of cards might become more collectible. Like obviously they they'll they'll appreciate the big stars and everything from here, but there might be people there that want to collect guys like Nakamura who have been sort of legends in their own game as well. So that's that's my angle with that. And he's really really cheap at the moment. Like he's very cheap. So I think it's kind of reasonable sort of gamble to take as well or um it was a Celtic player so if I end up with a few of them then I don't mind collecting them as well at price. So yeah I think there's more Scottish people who will be interested in buying them after that video that's going around <laughs> one of my favourites. Yeah. So when Celtic come on the platform there definitely will be as well, you know. Um but that's who knows when that will come or if it will come but hopefully they do at some point. Yeah, How long sure. is it taking to set your teams at the moment, Mark? I mean, you've got, as I say, such a, a large gallery and, and, you know, so many options. Yeah. Um, what tools do you use and uh, how do you go about whittling it down to uh, your, your final selections? It takes a while. <laughs> um, I think, like, in my own head, I've got a sort of order of how I prioritise things. Obviously, two-thirds of my gallery are under 23, so I always pick my under 23 teams first. Um, I think the the rewards in those divisions are really good as well. So, or I like the rewards in those divisions, pick those teams first, and then I'll pick my um, sort of global teams, and then I'll I'll go into the, the regionals. And recently, I've when I've been selling some cards, I've been taking a wee bit out to be sensible for once, but I've also been picking up some super rares as well so that I can enter more divisions. So I usually sort of pick 23's global division and then have a look at um, what's available in terms of maybe some division um, freeze as well. In terms of tools, always have a quick look on the injury section. So follow some stuff on Twitter. Sports gamblers get an injury section. And um, obviously, sort of check nobody's injured. And then I just sort of work through in terms of guys I know who who score well. Like um, some of the teams kind of pick themselves, and some of the other teams are a bit more tricky because I've got um, loads of options. And then I do a mad thing where. I pick all my training teams manually every week, which takes at least an hour. But the thing I like about that is that if you set your teams, then you go through your training teams or you would pick them and you see somebody who thinks get a good game, but maybe um, hasn't been scoring really highly, not um, top of the list, then it kind of puts them back into your mind. Because I find that if you just leave your training teams there and then you just leave them for next week, sometimes you'll miss a guy you would want to bring back into your team. So that's a ball ache because it takes mages to do that. But there we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the training is hopefully something which will get improved in the next iteration. It is quite frustrating when you are you're going from game week to game week so quickly and yeah. you're like, okay, right, well, this 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 week does include this region which then, you know, shuffles around everything you've done in the training and then you're trying to identify where where you're missing plays, you need to fill gaps. And uh, yeah, yeah we, we've got to cover this week the fact that the uh, the deadlines are changing again as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, a, that's something they really needed to do though because there was, a, there was a real sort of problem where a lot of the games were being missed as well. So, like... Obviously, what the main usage of the cards is is where you're using them for the tournaments, um, and there was too many games being missed, really. So, oh no, hundred percent. I think it's just a case of getting used to it, and uh, now it'll be interesting to see what the other third-party sites do as well, whether or not they mirror uh, the same uh, deadlines, or whether we'll have staggered deadlines throughout the day. I can see a few people missing uh, deadlines in, as, as as they start to get used to it. Is that what you mean, like um, so rare mega and um, so rare data and things? Yeah. 
Yeah, I haven't checked this week because uh, I've been, been been away. But maybe that maybe they've already changed. But yeah, I mean, if we're getting up to do was it ten or eleven o'clock in the morning in the UK to set your main Surrey native teams, and then throughout the day you've got Surrey Brag, Surrey Mega, Surrey Data, and you know One Shot League and anything else that's come up recently. Um, whether or not they stick to the uh, the late afternoon deadlines. Yeah, I think they'll they'll probably want to cover the games, won't they? So I'd imagine they would have to change the deadline or at least they would want to cover the same games as the main site. So that is an interesting one, see what they do with that. Um I was kind of one of the more vocal ones about stuff like that because obviously when you've got like quite a big collection, then you'll have more games that aren't covered if that makes sense. So quite a few like game weeks where like come a game week there wasn't much selection in terms of who you could use and then you would see a game and it wasn't included. And it's dead frustrating that so I'm really pleased of They've changed it back again, to be honest. I think that's a, a good move, even although people need to readjust to the, the deadlines and things. I mean, even for the small collectors that have quite a small team, that helps massively with sort of, you have a small number of players. And when you see one of your players plays for a team that aren't selected, it frustrates you like, okay, I had I have that card. Why can't I use it? Yeah. They see guys like the guys that hit 100 or whatever and it's not been selectable for the game week and they'll be coming out on Twitter and saying, oh, not been able to use that guy this week and like, he's, he's knocking it out of the park or whatever. Like, it, Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why they changed it back. I remember they changed it and then they decided to change it back um, and now they've changed it back again. But anyway, I think we've, we've got to the right result, which is the most important thing. So I've um, got a question for you guys regarding your galleries. Do you regret or would you say focus on a smaller number of cards that are better sort of utility and score higher? Or do you think buying the number of cards you have is something you'd stick with if you could start again? That's an interesting one. If um, if I had to go back and do what I did from last year, I would, I would do the same thing because platform is different. I think if I was to start again just now, I'd focus on more quality because there's, there's more... Um, users more entrance in tournaments and okay you can put a team together and you can hit the f threshold but the the actual scores you need to to win tournaments are, are pretty competitive now so i think that if you're coming on now you would you would unless you want to maybe flip or you want to buy injury holds or you want to work your way up in terms of building some money i think you would really want to focus on quality otherwise you probably just get lost in amongst the the numbers you you struggle to sort of win cards or get into the, the top of the divisions. No, yeah, looking at your sort of gallery, you've got like twenty seven pages, and I just <laughs> like if would you sort of want okay maybe like ten pages of great players that sort of saves time setting your teams, and you know that every single player is gonna play and is a decent player. Would you even go less and have say thirty players that are of the next caliber? And sort of, I just always, I, I look at like players who have been on for longer. I look and think the amount of sort of, obviously hindsight's an amazing thing. And we all wish we had it. Yeah. But I like, do not wish like, ah, oh, if I didn't buy them 10, I could have brought one of this guy that's yeah. unreal. Yeah. What? I mean, I think that one of the mistakes I made was that I didn't buy enough super rares at the start. So if you see like a super rare and it's an affordable price, and you want it, just buy it. Just don't, don't mess about because there's only obviously 10 released per season and once they start playing well their prices go up so quickly so it's again it's, it's okay with hindsight like if i had to go back then i would have 
probably for every couple of rares I bought, I would buy a super rare. I mean, I, I never, so about three or four months in, I hadn't even bought a super rare, um, which was, um, looking back now, seems like um, like madness, to be honest. But I'd kind of set myself a target of I wanted to buy cheaper cards and I didn't want to go too, too heavy in. I know it looks a bit silly now that I've got like 500 <laughs> cards, but like... The, the way I was doing it was I was buying cards at 20 and 30 quid a time. So we get to the weekend, I would spend 30 quid on a card. I wasn't coming in all the time and spending 300. Yeah, yeah. only done that once in the first six months. I was just chipping away and I was buying guys I thought that would be really good value. And then obviously, as the prices have gone up now, like sometimes I'll sell somebody and I'll buy somebody else and I'll bank some or whatever. So you'll see some of the more recent buys I've had to buy, like the goalie from... Um, Santos Laguna and he was a thousand pounds like but like, I bought that from a couple of sales and things I took some money out and I bought him because I'd lost the goalkeeper and things so but I'm able to do that now because I've put my own thousand pounds in it was money I'd sort of taken from some sales and things which was which I'm fortunate to be in that position so so would you say because I'm at a position where I'm going for next level would you yeah. say rare goalkeeper or super rare outfield player then uh, I think if you've got a smaller gallery um you really need a playing goalkeeper. Like having a super rare is good because that gets you into um, Division Three. But I think you've got to focus on quality and like if if you you can play with a common goalkeeper and you can hit the F thresholds and things. But if you're playing with a common goalkeeper and you you come tenth in a tournament and you've lost the tournament by fifteen points because you've not bought a goalkeeper, you you'll be kicking yourself. I think. So I think at some point. You just got to stump up a couple of hundred and just get yourself a, a good rare goalkeeper. Like they, they hold their value really well, goalkeepers. Oh, no, so people always talk about, oh, goalkeepers are really expensive. But yeah, if you buy one for 300 quid and then you use them for four months and you sell them, you really sell them for like 400 quid or whatever if they're doing well. So, like, all right, they, they aren't cheap, but they, because of the demand for them, because they're, they're so scarce, like they, they hold their value quite well as well. No, I think I, I won two reward cards in global all-star div four with a common goalkeeper and i'm sort of out now at the level of sort of okay now i've sort of each week i'll put like money in i'll buy a bit of eth each week and then at the end of the month i'll put that eth into the game and sort of keep building up and try and sell some players but yeah rare goalkeeper is my next buy 100 percent but yeah. it's interesting to say about a super rare so because i've i was looking at sort of do i get a super rare to sort of have it and just hope that he does the player does something or get the key for utility for now to look at winning a super rare or getting rare cars that I could then sell to get the super rare. I think that I've just been buying super rares recently. And the mistake that you can't make with a super rare is that the easiest way to think about it is super rares that score the same points as your rare captain does. Don't buy a super rare that scores crap just for the sake of having <laughs> a super rare. Like, you know, if you, if you want to buy a super rare and it gives you access to other divisions, um, things then that's great but if you look at a super rare and their average score is 45 and then you add on the bonus that you get would you be better to spend like the same money or slightly less on a guy who's averaging 60 you know like that you've got to weigh that stuff up yeah, so yeah. it depends what super rare you're you're looking for from that point of view and um funnily enough even with all the demand super rare goalkeepers are not that attractive just now because when you add on that sort of 20 percent then their average scores a lot lower so i'll tend to buy super rare outfielders rather than goalkeepers because a lot of times our scores aren't really that good to be honest i don't feel as if it gives you a huge advantage good if you can get it but 
like you know, or if you can get a Martin Van Der Voort and everybody in the platform on some, but um, I don't think it's as big an advantage as having a really high scoring outfielder and you're able to um, have them as the kind of the super rare or the captain points. So I think it also depends on what's available at the time. Uh, and I think we're going through a period in the market now where we can see that there really are very few European cards available, certainly from the clubs that were launched in you know August, September of last year. And so you can only really play what's in front of you. And you might have the best intentions of going out to buy your rare goalkeeper, but you might just find that someone's listed, you know, what you consider to be a super strong, you know, super rare card, an outfielder. And it might yeah, just yeah. be it might just be timing that leads you towards picking up the outfielder before you pick up the goalkeeper. And also your ability to negotiate, catching someone that's, you know, looking to, you know, liquidate or or, or sell cards it's, it's all about opportunity and i think as long as you're putting yourself out there and you are trying to improve on your collection and whether that's you know rare super rare, unique whichever part of the uh, the gathering phase that you're in as long as you're constantly trying to sniff out a good deal then you know just just make sure that you take those better deals when 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 they're out in front of you yeah i agree with that as well particularly i said earlier with the super rares like thing is that five are sold at auction and five go into the reward pools. So like uh-huh. if, if say somebody wins the super rare and, and they really don't want to sell them, like you, you can find yourself in a scenario where you want a super rare and literally is not one listed or if there's one listed person wants mega money to sell because they don't want to sell. So I think you've got to watch there is if you see a super rare and you've got the money to buy them, sometimes you've got to take that chance because they're so scarce that you might not be able to buy one an R1 for months or you might need to wait until somebody wins one as an award and doesn't want it and lists it. So you, you could be waiting literally two or three months and they're just not available. So you've got to bear that in mind when you're buying the higher scarcities because the rares are um, become more available more often as well. And I think the other point, which uh, I, I was chatting with uh, somebody a few days ago, um, if you look at the way that uh, the rewards are categorised in tiers, and I haven't done any research, so someone can shoot me down if this is incorrect. But I think I'm right in saying that in the higher tiers, you find a higher percentage of goalkeepers just because goalkeepers get bid up in traditional auctions anyway. So an, a, a mid-tier goalkeeper might find its way to tier one ahead of a you know a, a high-end striker, uh, for example. So if you do have aspirations and you do get that team that hits in a week and you finish in a nice place or even better on a podium or, you know, you happen to win a division, then I think you've got quite a good chance of pulling a goalkeeper as a reward as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that if you look at the under 23 pool and if you look at this at a recent sort of tier one and star rare pool, like uh, there's a lot of goalkeepers in them, like particularly like American ones and everything because they were really expensive in the run up to the MLS returning as well. Yeah. So again, my point there was it might influence the uh, order in which you purchase something because you might go, well, I can buy this striker or midfielder and I'll hopefully try and win a goalkeeper. I guess the other way around is you buy a goalkeeper, you win a goalkeeper and then you sell the one that uh, you feel is surplus to fund your your, your outfield player. That's what I think this game is so good is that there's so many paths you can take to sort of succeed and success is measured in so many different ways within different leagues. I've not even entered under 23s once. And I know a lot of people, that's their sort of main division. So I think what makes the platform so good is the fact that one player can have the complete different tactic than another player. Whereas I think when you do 
the traditional fantasy football or traditional card collecting, there's sort of that set way that, okay, this is what you do, this is how you win, this is how you achieve it. Whereas so rare, it's just so good of how different you can play it. Yeah, that's really interesting, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got loads of backup goalkeepers, and the reason I've done that is, one, I've got lots of cards, so it lets me enter training. So like, even if guys will not get games, like I can put them in training and they'll the XP will go up. And the other reason I bought loads of backup goalkeepers is, there's, the goalies are so scarce and their price increases so much when they're playing that, that even if you you only get like 30% of them who end up playing at specific um specific time, then you've made a profit on them. So you can have loads of different strategies. You can buy injury holds. You can buy guys who've fallen out of favour. You can buy guys who you think are going to transfer. Like there's so much sort of depth to the game. Like I find it just really interesting in general. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the goalkeeper sort of picking up the spare goalkeepers was something that I did and I managed to get quite lucky. I sort of brought a goalkeeper forty pounds, just sort of okay, this is what happens with him. Then the team's starting goalkeeper got injured first game of the season. He came on, played, I think it was five or six games, did really well, earned me my ETH, and then he got injured. Sort of last week, so so he's not now out for the season. So I think it can it can work really well. Yeah, I think the the reason goalkeepers are expensive is not because they score really well; they're expensive because you need one to get a team in really. Yeah. Yeah. So like that that's what drives the kind of the price increase. So you see a guy be selling for forty quid, all of a sudden he gets in the team, or somebody's injured, or somebody transfers out, and then. Their, their price will go up and sometimes they're not even that good sometimes they're playing <laughs> terrible it's like you look at them they're scoring 30s and stuff people having 350 quid for them or whatever like it's just it's just the way it is and like yeah. people keep saying things like, oh goalkeepers are too expensive and like when I'm talking about it, I say well forwards are really expensive like you don't get as many forwards in the game they're really expensive so if you want to sort out the goalkeeper situation what would you do about forwards like you know there's loads of midfielders, there's loads of defenders. You can get loads of really high-scoring defenders. They're not that expensive, but forwards are more expensive. And it's just it's just the way it is. Like, you know, I don't think they'll be able to solve that situation. It's just um, the nature of how it's worked. So, Do you think they could... an interesting position as well in tournament play because if you're, let's say, you know, the All Blacks or the Allisons of this world, you know, if, if every major goalkeeper concedes over a weekend... And, you know, you've thrown in a goalkeeper, which may be, you know, less popular uh, and only a few percent of uh, managers are, are using in tournament play. And, you know, I think we've seen maybe not clean sheets, but an example might be, let's say you use a Japanese goalkeeper that's up against Kawasaki Frontal and, you know, Frontal have an off day, don't score. Then, you know, your goalkeeper can suddenly be the difference between you placing, you know, tier three and could get you uh, significantly higher. You know, there's, you know, over the course of a weekend, the usual suspects typically score quite well from outfield positions. But, you know, there was the weekend a couple of weekends ago where All Black conceded late on. You know, and there, there'll be a lot of goalkeepers out there that would have quite quick, quite easily outperformed Odd Black that weekend. He's one of those goalkeepers that tends to concede and not have any saves, doesn't do any sweeper-keeper stuff. You know, he'll sit on 35 to 37 points when he's conceded one goal. And, you know, even a, a Japanese goalkeeper taking a pummeling from somewhere 
is uh, is pulling out a few saves here and there, all finishing high forties, early fifties. Yeah, then you've got to avoid the three goals being conceded, otherwise you're snookered. <laughs> unless, unless your man will Neuer and he'll still hit 100, even though he's conceded left, right, centre. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he does all the sweeper keeper stuff as well, doesn't he? So he's he's actually really like involved in the place. So yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. Like if you there's not many sort of higher scoring goalkeepers, but. Like recently, I sold Lafont and I bought Murich, and it was like half the price. And I looked, I need a higher average, so I thought, you know, that's like I'm, I'm just going to do it. Like, it obviously, you like consider stuff like um, Lafont's French, and he's playing for the the international under twenty ones. He's playing like as a champion card and everything. But I was thinking. So why is he this high? Like, it's just like, it's yeah, just look, the, the market just so. hasn't matured yet, and uh, you know, yeah. you know, again, twelve months from now, we'll have another, hopefully, a hundred, two hundred clubs, maybe no, hundred clubs on the platform, let's say. And again, uh, you know, the, the the decisions that we'll all face in terms of buying decisions, selection decisions, will will just be made that much more difficult. Do you think they might, um, like, they might change? Obviously, not like dramatically, but they might look at like goalkeepers or defenders who concede a lot of points for giving the ball away and just kind of tweak that a wee bit as well. Because um, obviously, I'm not saying that goalkeepers should score more because they're um, expensive or anything, but they do score quite low in general as well. So, so would it be fairer to make them score a bit more equivalent to outfield players rather than scoring so low in general? Oh, I mean, I'd, I've said it a few times. I'd certainly like to see that. I'd like to be able to, you know... Uh, I suggested a tournament the other day, which was, you know, the perfect 500. It would be nice to be able to, to, to have, a, I don't know, an amount of ETH going into the prize pool every week, like a, a rollover. And, you know, that could grow and grow and grow, even if it's 0.1, 0.2 ETH per week. And that just gets built up and built up. And the first manager, regardless of scarcity, the first manager to pick a perfect five, 500, five times 100, takes a massive jackpot. But to do that, you'd need to have, you know, goalkeepers regularly hitting 100 points or at least a fair share of goalkeepers hitting 100 points. So you've got that chance to get the, the, the perfect five uh, throughout your squad. Yeah, I don't, as I, I don't think a, goal, as a goalkeeper even ever scored 100. I remember Bodart scored and it was the two each draw and he, he went up and he scored a header or something and he scored 60. So and everybody's like, how can you even score 60? He's scored from a corner. <laughs> so, But I suppose that's really unusual and that's not what you've got your goalkeeper there for but it just seems if it's 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 impossible unless you're Neuer etc to to score really high as a goalkeeper you've just got to save a penalty and have an absolute stormer and even at that they still don't score 100 well yeah even even at that I mean they've got to get a reasonable percentage of long ball completions which is you know again for a lot of goalkeepers is is not their forte yeah definitely yeah it's an interesting one could you do it with like a perfect 400 then or not or do you think the perfect 500 just sounds that much better doesn't it yeah i mean yeah, I, I i'm sure you could i mean um but yeah i'd like to i'd like to i think that's a challenge for every manager you know as i say it doesn't matter what the scarcity of the card is can you find five players put them all together in the same way you can get a perfect 500 but yet in order to do that i think there does need to be a few tweaks to the uh the scoring matrix with the main one being the goalkeeper so at least each week you know somebody scoring a hat trick I'm pretty certain he's going to get 100 points. Someone in defence that's getting, you know, stupid amounts of clearances like Kikuchi has done recently and uh, Jules won, they're going to get 100 points. Uh, you know, someone in midfielder that's, you know, passing the ball forward aggressively into the box, 
couple of assists or you know even a goal, hundred points. Whereas you say you can have a goalkeeper saves a penalty, um, you know rushes out, saves you know sweeper keeper two or three of those, and it doesn't get anywhere near eighty five. Yeah, yeah, I agree Do, with that. Yeah. So, are you, sorry, are you saying a hundred per player or five hundred overall? Because if you had a captain and your bonuses. You could I'm, so I'm talking about a pure 500, 100, okay. 100, 100, okay. yeah. regardless of you know what <laughs> bonus is and captain. Uh, five pure 100s basically would be you that'd know be un- that'd be unreal. Yeah, and and, and imagine <laughs> in a year's time, you know, if, you know the jackpot just keeps growing and growing. I also think it'll be something which would attract people to the game. You know, someone in 12 months from now might go, oh, I've missed the boat a little bit. Perhaps could have should have got. I uh, would have liked to have known about this game earlier. Got a few cards and got involved. But they can start in a year from now, knowing that there might be a, a 50 ETH jackpot for getting a perfect five. You know, would that encourage someone that maybe would look at it and go, oh, no, it's not for me, this. But, oh, hang about. They've got a top prize of 50 <laughs> and it's getting closer. And we're seeing it already. There's there's people scoring mega, mega scores in division in all in all divisions. You know, there's 470s, 480s that are winning division four. I know that's with a bonus. And then you've got, you know, a couple of people now that have exceeded 600 in Division 1. And we've got, you know, people 550 in Division 2. So it's close. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know what the breakdown is. I'm pretty sure people have got an average, at least 490s and a, a goalkeeper with a clean sheet. So we're not far off. That's yeah. a great shout. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. What do you think about the, the obviously they've just changed the rewards and everything this week. So what do you think about what they've done with that and basically... Feedback seems to be quite good um, for what you guys think in terms of what the changes have made. Yeah, so the dynamic rewards, as we're calling it, from next game next week. So game week one seventy, isn't it? So it's about making it more accessible, more scalable, and more giving more rewards back to managers. So there's been a few tweaks across the divisions, but yeah, at high level. If there's more teams playing, there's going to be more rewards. If there's less teams playing, there's going to be less rewards. So it gives more reward for, for those big game weeks where everyone's playing and lots of people are seeing larger larger scores. And I think that has been a frustration recently or you know, people have been finding it a bit harder to to win those those prizes because so many people are hitting such high scores. We're seeing you know lots of 400, 500, nearly touching the, the 500 point mark across the divisions and yeah it is getting more difficult so when we have these big game weeks more people are going to get rewarded for it I think that that's fantastic and I'll allow the platform to scale as more managers come on and as these other clubs are coming because we can't keep them to change it what that looks like and having something that is pretty fluid and dynamic like that that will will move week to week as there's more teams playing solves a lot of that issue at the at this time, so yeah, I think really positive. Yeah, I really like it as well. the The bits I really like are the the weekly you can win a super rare, but there's no card bias, so you can have somebody who's got five rares and they've got a chance of winning a super rare. So previous division three, you had to win division three, and you you got a star rare and you got a tier three super rare, which is not very good in in all honesty. So the the weekly is excellent because. You can win a super rare and you don't have to own super rares to win it. Um, thinking the higher divisions, the only bit I don't like is 
in Division 3, if you want to put five rares in, you can put in five rares. It's maximum two super rares. Then you go into Division 2, and you can't get in without four super rares. And I think that's terrible. I just don't like it at all. Like It's be, it's almost like becoming a, a closed shop in the in the top divisions because you, you might say, well, I've got um, two super rares and three rares, and I want to take my chance in that division. You just can't enter. And I think they've got to sort that out as soon as possible because you get to the point where you just can't enter Division two and if guys in division two have got five super rares or four super rares and they're unique and they've got the card bonus what's the what's the problem with letting somebody else enter that division to jump in i i get that point in terms of opening up and why not allow allow you to enter with you know a couple more rares in there what i would say is it's very competitive um, in Division 2, it's probably one of the, the most difficult divisions. So even with five super rares, you're struggling to to actually compete in that one anyway. So I think it's maybe a, a bit of a, an illusion that you could come in with four or three or four rares and, and actually compete because it's difficult enough to do it with the super rares. I think I do get the, the sentiment around that there needs to be that ability to feel that like you can progress or, or take your chance and I think it's just, it's a growing pain almost as this platform does get bigger, as we get more managers on, as there's more teams being entered game week to game week. We will need to to look at the structure of these divisions one to four. For me, if anything, I don't think it's about necessarily opening up these existing divisions. I think that the restrictions we have on them are fine. I think you could potentially add in additional layers within that, so additional divisions. Um, yeah. But it, it's, it takes time. Before we get to that point, we need more managers on. We need more managers with uh, the size of collections. And so we've talked in the past, I think, about having things like SO11. And one of the, the reasons we've probably not seen that so far in the, the main site is because just not enough people have large enough collections to be able to compete. So it would be more of a, a closed shop. So I think over time, and as managers build their collections, because I'm still bought another 10, 20 cards in the last week, I'm still building my collection. I think everyone on the platform in, in the main is doing similar. People have the more ability to compete and we will be able to to then bulk out some of these divisions. Um, well, I think also as well, I mean, I do hear you, Mark, but also if someone's got two super rares and then they get a third super rare, I would say that the more logical progression curve for that manager would be to enter two division three simultaneously. You wouldn't, I don't know, Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you'd go from going, right, I did have a Division 3 team last week, I've bought one more Super Rare, now I want to have a go at Division 2. I would say that you would probably progress, get your fourth Super Rare, fifth Super Rare, sixth Super Rare. You can play two or three Division 3 simultaneously, which I think would give you a better chance of winning more prizes overall to then prepare you for Division 2. I don't think managers go from having two... Uh, super rares and then go right I've got my third one now oh that's not fair why can't I join division two yeah but the point I was making earlier was I think Hybe's right about the between the divisions so obviously things have changed a wee bit now but the way the divisions were before you had to win division three just to win a super rare now the super rares are very very expensive so it's a big jump from buying like some good rares to buying some good super rares a lot of them are thousands of pounds so if you look at like um, some of the quieter game weeks and things, there were weekends where I would I would have maybe have taken a chance in Division Two with two rares, 
in three super rares, and you say, well, you might not have had a chance in those divisions, but sometimes, like, obviously it's, it's not the norm, but sometimes those divisions are being won with similar scores to the, the scores that have been won in Division 3 and Division 4. So what would you rather do? Do you want to play against 6,000 people in the the Global All-Stars Division 4, or do you want to move up a wee bit and enter the higher divisions? I just think like they could do with just opening it up a wee bit. Like, it's just that you get to a point where you're just not allowed to enter at all, and that's a bad message to people, I, I think, in terms of progression through the game, because they can't even take a chance in that division. Like They're just not allowed to enter, and I don't think that's I don't think that's right. No, that's fair. I can hear that. I mean, I think my overall interpretation of the dynamic changes from yesterday are that if you know you try and think about what managers would do after the changes and if more managers now are winning tier one tier zero cards for deeper uh, positional finishes then you know they've got the choice to either keep those cards and i would imagine they'd be more competitive more quickly than they currently are if they're winning tier three and tier twos um and just having the flexibility or the option to sell those cards selling a tier not tier one you would hope is going to yield you a much stronger return than a tier two or tier three which then frees up more opportunities for you to then recycle that cash into uh, other yeah. cards you know of, of maybe scarcer denominations super as or uniques yeah i think what they've done with the actual like the, the way they're handing the cards out is really good like they've moved a lot of the tier threes and things into division four, which means that people have got more of a chance of winning. And then as you go up, the quality is increasing. So like, you know, like if you look at the sort of division three and division two, there's a couple this weekend where there's maybe 10 less prizes than there were before, obviously because there's less leagues on like European leagues, but the actual quality of what you win, if you win a card is like almost going up a tier. So you like, you, you get in a prize and you're winning a tier one or whatever, and they're really good quality cards. So I do, I think you're, you're definitely right with that, but just think that don't think the, the makeup of the divisions just now is right. I think that they're going to have to look at the actual divisions themselves over and above the prizes that are being handed out. And obviously they're going to look at progressive rewards and everything. And the problem with the F threshold is that um, people are quite happy hitting 250 every week um, and they get their F threshold. And it's really good that all that money's like sort of distributed to people lower down in the platform but doesn't give you much incentive to move up, I don't think, either. So you just put a team in and you say, well, I just want a team that's average scores 50. Um, whereas, really, you want people to to want to try and buy the better cards or to move up, I think. So, yeah, I think that's quite interesting challenge they've got over the summer as well. Yeah, I think so. And obviously, you mentioned the, the thresholds there. So that was also in the, the note about that remaining um, in place until the the new feature so the progress bar comes in at the end of the summer so I think that's what the, the team will be working on to, to get that ability for people all managers to feel like they are able to progress in the, the game and, and to enjoy it and to, to move on there so as if you haven't already caught that it was in the, the AMA with Carl there was a, a lot of chat yeah. around what that's going to look like that progression feature so I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll see more on that as we come but yeah for now the thresholds um, are, are going to stay. What do you uh, think, Kybe, about the 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 prizes being for top three in the divisions? Like, do you think that if people are buying cards to win cards, that that will be enough to keep them engaged? Or do you think that? So my my worry myself is that 
the market will have loads more cards and people okay say well win a tier two or a tier three or whatever but if those prices fall then the prizes are not as valuable as well so like if they can't afford to scale up with the f thresholds what can they not pay out the top 10 the top 20 the top 50 like could they not do that instead i think you you really need to to look at the the numbers properly i can't just make a snap judgment i don't think but yeah the more card payments um, or more card payouts for me personally is a is a good thing i, I like to, to to see that when we we talk about obviously the tiers though so i think as well george you mentioned it earlier would you rather have these you know a, a large gallery of all, all these players maybe lots of tier twos and tier threes or would you rather condense that into a higher tier players I think it depends how you play the game as well. So, Mark, you obviously take a much longer-term view. You're buying all these young future hopefuls and guys that maybe are Tier 2 and Tier 3 prices at the moment. But in five years' time, you're hoping that seven out of those ten are actually Tier 1s and, and some of them are, are stars as well. So, I think, yeah, there's... I think card prizes in general are good. I'm, I'm happy receiving anything there. I think it's important that it feels like you've got enough of a chance to win. I think that's what's important. So you're entering a game week. And in, in the early days, everyone was winning prizes every single game week because there was not that many managers on, on the platform and the, the payouts were, were really, you know, great. As the scales, it's going to become harder to win card prizes. And that should be a big deal. The value of these cards, as more and more users come on, to the platform and with the, the scarcity of them, you're potentially got a, a chance of winning an absolute jackpot in, in one of these cards. Some weeks you won't, some weeks it, it will be what's currently a tier three and maybe a slightly disappointing prize compared to that thousands of, of pounds star player. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one. It, it has to just scale um, as, as we go. And I think that the team will just have to tweak the payouts as yeah. we as we kind of go, it's it's a, it's a really difficult difficult one to speak. I think if you look at it right now and said this week changes are made, let's say we don't get any new managers joining the game for the next couple of weeks, then I can see that maybe people thinking, oh, the cards, yeah, it might stifle growth a little bit because we'll all be trying to sell to each other. Uh, I think you know it's not. We, we there was a crazy rumor yesterday. I don't know how crazy it was of Sarah uh, uh, again looking to raise a significant amount of capital. And we've already seen what happens when, you know, that sort of news hits the market. Um, I think, again, imagine winning, you know, a tier one now for finishing further down in an environment where there's a thousand, two thousand, three thousand new managers on board. There should be, you know, anyone that's playing the game now, there should be a next generation of users and managers that you can quite easily sell these cards to. If we all played the game for another three months and let's say we all on average won you know, five tier twos and five tier three cards. Yes, we could probably think, mm, I'd rather have the ease because, you know, who's going to be buying these tier two and tier three cards off me? But if we hopefully put faith in the company that they're going to go out and attract another thousand, two, three, five thousand managers over the summer, then by the time that the next European season comes about, you know, if you're winning over the course of this summer, a couple of tier ones, even stars, you know, then I think there's going to be a ready-made market to sell these cards into. Yeah, okay, we'd all love ETH instead of a card because then we can pick and choose the players that we want or take money out of the platform if that's what we prefer to do. 
But I think, again, it won't take many new managers coming into the market. Whenever you do list, you know, a higher value card in your portfolio, chances are you're going to get inquiries on them. Or even if someone approaches you about a different card, you end up talking about, you know, a tier one or a tier zero card that you might be interested in selling or trading. Uh, so I think this will give people a lot more flexibility on trades also moving forward. So, you know, yeah, people might have a personal preference about wanting ETH for, 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 for you know, as far as I'm concerned, T1 and tier zero cards are pretty damn liquid if you find uh, uh, the right type of new capital coming into the game. And, and I think over the summer, if they promote the Euros correctly, and again, on the lead up to the next European season, you know, the tier naught ones, they're as good as ETH, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's just that the market sometimes isn't isn't that liquid as well. I, I, I see what you mean about the cards that are in demand, but those are the cards that are in demand. So the problem if you release too many cards and you're giving out all the cards, card prizes, is if card values drop, then the value of what you're winning is dropping as well. So obviously, a lot of people, Tybee was saying that maybe they had over 300 and they're in the challenge and they've won nothing and that had to be addressed. So it's great that people can win these things now, but I think it's just a, a tough juggling act as well because people are building teams just now based on hitting F thresholds and things. And once you start changing those things, it changes the dynamic in terms of um, who people want to buy and the demand for them. So guys just now who are averaging 40 um, in the Challenger League and people want to build a team and they spend 200 quid or 300 quid on a team, they can hit the F threshold. But if the F threshold um, is taken away, then the value of those guys might drop to like 15 quid each or whatever so but would they not sorry would they not just use them in the progress bar route so yeah still build up an ether amount that way and they could potentially build up a larger ether amount and cash that out at a a later stage or collect it weekly as they they, they've done that or you know put into xp or directly into yeah, that shot in a car. It's, it's not going to be as good, is it? Because they've said that they can't do it because they're not sustainable or scalable. So, like, I don't know. Let, let's see what the 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 problem just now is. They haven't said what they're planning to do, so it's we're only sort of speculating. But yeah, to me, if they're saying that it's not scalable or it's not sustainable, that means that they don't want to pay out as much. And if they don't want to pay out as much, that means people are getting less, which means that those cards won't be worth as much so like, well, there's lots of things it. you can change you could also change yeah. the fact that they put less auctions on the market and they start applying a, a, a trading tax or a sales tax from manager to manager i mean yeah, if, yeah. If, if we got less auctions on the market and we were told yeah you can sell a card to another manager but it'll cost you five percent uh and and Sarah were to make a revenue stream to replace you know the, the speed in which they're selling cards then you know it could balance out i mean you, then you then you'd be winning cards that you knew weren't coming around as frequently on the auction house yeah yeah and uh, that was kind of my point as well like when, when you've got these increased rewards that's great but it also means there'll be more um, cards available in the market as well so like, if you're coming on just now like my advice would be to George Sinella, like focus on quality. Because if you're buying a guy and he's a pretty average scorer and he, and he's relatively expensive, I think those are the cards that will that will suffer, and um, depending on what they do with the the progression bar. Because okay, you could get quite a lot of new users on the platform, and that there's demand for the, the the cheaper type cards, but also 
what what what's the utility for them? What do you want to use them for? If you can't get in the high places in the tournaments and there's no specific F threshold, then that changes the dynamic of what you're playing for every week. Like at the moment, people build teams. People will say, "I'm going to build a team to win the F threshold," so that that creates a demand for those cards. No, I agree, and, and and I think again, it's it's also then down to how managers play the game longer term as well. I mean, everything you've said there is is 100. percent but you're talking about the here and now, and there are managed there are managers out there which will plan ahead. And you know, we speculated today: will there be a spin-off from you know challenges or other regions or individual leagues that uh, that, that that form in the future? Now, I don't think any of us can say with certainty that there will be, but you know, maybe we could all think there's a 90% chance. So, if there is a 90% chance that there'll be an Eredivisie only league and a Jupiler only league and a you know, Russian Premier League only league in the future at some point, then you know, there will be a growing demand for these, these players that perhaps don't have a demand this week, next week, or the week after. So again, it's, it's you know, not all the cards that you're buying today are going to be ones that you end up selecting on you know, the next game week. Um, and that's not to say that we should all speculate on something that might, might or might not happen in six months or 12 months from now. But I think as the game evolves, we're going to have more tournaments in play. And yeah. so there's going to be the need for more cards and there's going to be more managers that don't know about Sarah playing the game in 12 months from now. So, you know, at no point in the last couple of years, even the guys that got in in February that might have, uh, you know, been caught out by, you know, the spike, people are still getting value from whatever they've bought, whatever price they've bought, whether that's, you know, flipping on or if they have bought at a point where it's a little bit too high, hopefully they're putting those cards to work for them and they're getting a yield in terms of, you know, where they're finishing, whether it's the threshold or whether they're uh, able to hit card prizes as well. And I don't think that's any different. Any card that you buy over the next few weeks in the summer, hopefully you'll look back on in six months, 12 months from now, and it'll be a good decision no matter what you buy. Yeah. I think yeah. that... There always needs to be that sort of cash reward, though. Like I think it's all we can sort of speculate, but I think that what draws people in is looking at the cash prize. Like players' utility is von is useful because you can win real money or ETH, if you know what I mean. So I think that they they need to make sure that that and I, I have faith in the team. Everything they've done so far has been perfect, and I'm obviously going to keep playing. But what draws people in is that chance of okay, look. You can use these NFT cards to win money. Yeah, that that that's kind of the the point I was making. Like you might get to the point where if you're only giving out ETH to the top three, and it's like hardly anybody's getting it. Okay, there might be the progression thing, so you need to see how that plays out. So that that's that's going to be quite interesting. Like I th- I really do think that they 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 could um, give out more, but not necessarily unlimited amounts but obviously that's for them to, to model it and obviously um, there are mark um you'd said that um some people will take it out of the platform some people will but i think a lot of people will actually use it to put towards cards and it will create some liquidity in the market as well so that that's obviously quite a big decision in terms of what they do with thresholds which is why they're They've, they've left them in place just now, which is probably a good decision as well, to be honest. I think when like when I joined, when I talk to people about who join, the sort of first thing they look at is, okay, average 50 players hit the ETH, recuperate some money back to then reinvest. Like I've, I tried to withdraw some, but it was, it was I messed up. But it's like, I think people don't look at withdrawing much. They sort of looking at how they can keep going and keep progressing. 
And that ETH little bit each week motivates them to keep on going and keep on trying to progress. And that gives them that little yeah. bit, okay, I've got, I got a kickback this week, which I can then reinvest into my team. I got a card this week. Okay, perfect. I can either sell them to add to the sort of ETH that I've built up or I can use that player and sell someone else. And that's sort of, there's that progression. I think the progression, the progression got caught bar could be good, but I think there always needs to be a, a cash prize available for the average player. Yeah. I think it's like the, it's obviously we're not game economists and everything as well, but <laughs> like the, 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 it's an interesting sort of concept in terms of what people do with that, um, those small amounts of money. Like if you give somebody like 300 quid or whatever, then, you know, what they're going to do with that. Some people might say, oh, we're going to take that out. If you give somebody like 20 quid, are they going to withdraw the 20? I mean, obviously just now with crypto and the fees, you're not going to, but um, that I might that change. Hard way. <laughs> it might change with the, the scalability or if they change to a stable coin or something. But if you if you give out small amounts, then people put that into the market or put it into cards or they'll save up for, for cards. So they've just got to be careful with that, that in terms of how they, they make the changes. It's just that, I can see that people are buying cards and building these teams built on the F thresholds. And if mm. you take those thresholds away, then the demand for those cards will drop. And also the, the actual what you use them for will drop. So it's okay saying, well, okay, you can still use them in the tournaments. But if you're, if you're scoring 250 and you're getting absolutely nowhere near winning anything because you're only scoring 250, what you're using them for completely changes. So that's why they've, they've got to ease this change in or make sure that the progression bar is, is quite good. And I think they will deliver something quite good, but it's just interesting to see what they're, um, they're going to do with that. And just people who are coming in just now building teams, you've got to be careful in terms of what teams you're building. Like you might build a team for next season based on that, but you've got to be aware that that the threshold stuff's going to change. So just be careful and focus on guys who score well. That's what I would say. No, definitely. Yep. I think a lot of these changes, as you said, Mark, there's a lot that's unknown still at this stage. So until that actually comes or until we see more what that looks like, there'll, there'll be a lot of speculation and we can't really know what it will do to the, the market um, fully. But good to be aware and you know take a bit of, bit of caution there, think about what, what's coming and you know, buy buy accordingly. Yeah, but yeah. It's all, always good to be looking at players that are scoring high already and are adding utility to your team first and foremost. I think that is something that you you need to. It depends what you're you're wanting to do. Some people have came in purely to collect and aren't even even entering SO five teams. But I think for the vast majority, you get your enjoyment from entering on a weekly basis, aiming to to win prizes and and any reward. So building teams that are actually enabling you to do so is is key. But yeah, over the next months and over hopefully the next couple of years, we'll, we'll see complete wholesale changes on this platform. So what we're seeing today and what we're talking about today will be completely irrelevant because we'll have got it all wrong and there'll be loads of, <laughs> loads of, loads of different changes that have, have came in. in this just platform. delete the podcast, just don't tell anybody. <laughs> no, that, that, that's it. These, they'll be long for, long forgotten by then. If there's a division for every um, league as well, I'll be divorced. So um, so that, that'll that definitely change as well. So it's bad enough just now. It's like, you're so rare again. Anyway, that's, <laughs> that's another point altogether. <laughs> that's it. We're here shouting for you in the background. Uh, you, you said you were only going to be forty-five minutes. <laughs> yeah. We have we have run on quite a, a bit this one, but it has been been enjoyable. Been great chatting to you both. So thank you very much for 
giving us your, your time tonight. Yeah, thank you both very much. Thank you for having us. No worries. Thanks for the invite. Doing good. So, that brings us to the end of today's Sorier Global Fantasy Football Podcast. I hope you found it useful. And as always, if you could like, subscribe and leave a review, then we can help introduce the fantastic concept to more users. See you next time. Thank you.